Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Nashville, it's time for Nashville Business Radio. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Nashville Business Radio. I'm John Ray. And folks, uh, we've got a great guest today. I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, Dr. Jeff Cornwall is with us, and uh, he's the Jack C. Massey Chair and Professor of Entrepreneurship at Belmont University. Dr. Cornwall, welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here and appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, it's it's great to have you, and uh, you uh, are well-known in Nashville, uh, among entrepreneurs in Nashville. But for those few that don't know you, uh, maybe you can introduce yourself. Sure. Um, so I've, I've been in Nashville for 18 years. Um, I came here to help Belmont get into the whole world of, of entrepreneurship education, which I've been dabbling in on and off since the, the mid eighties. Um, my career has been one of kind of in and out of academics and in and out of uh, being an entrepreneur, I've not spent an entire career in either, but but in both worlds, everything I focus is on is is on entrepreneurs and small business owners. So I've been a healthcare entrepreneur. I was involved in family businesses. I've done a lot of other startups, uh, and and I've spent a couple different stints uh, in between helping entrepreneurs through my university positions. Let's talk about the state of entrepreneurship education these days and maybe the demand uh i mean what what does it look like from your perspective in terms of young people and their interest in an entrepreneurship education so um it 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 certainly is something i've seen grow uh when i first got into uh wanting to teach entrepreneurship in the 80s it was it was something that most business schools uh did not like it was considered contrary to their mission. And, and actually, I faced a lot of hostility from a lot of traditional business faculty because they were there to train tomorrow's corporate leaders, not as sometimes they refer to us as, as uh, preparing merchants. And, and so um, one of the reasons I left higher ed in the 80s was just uh, because of, of the frustration with that. There was a little bit of interest in, in it from students. Um, uh, but not widespread and, and very little support from the university. So I thought, okay, I, you know, teaching is fun. I enjoy it, but uh, it, it was frustrating. So I never thought I'd come back. And then after we had an exit from our healthcare business, I noticed that, that there were entrepreneurship programs popping up everywhere. This would have been in the 90s. And, and what had happened is we had that transformation in our economy that happened in the 80s and 90s where, we went from the old manufacturing world to kind of what became next, which ended up being tech. And, and because of that, there was a resurgence in interest and, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. And so um, it, it, I ended up deciding I was going to go back into academics and, and become part of that whole journey. And, and so have, and, and we've seen the interest continue to grow. We've seen, there are thousands of entrepreneurship programs across the country right now. Um, and so I would say that we've, we've seen a very steady growth. We saw a big spike in interest about 10 years ago with the, the uh, millennials coming in. And, and there was this really excited kind of spirit in the world of, of teaching entrepreneurship about, oh, my God, this is going to be 
you know, this is going to be our glory years. And, and we had a lot of students, but what was interesting, very few of them actually started businesses. And so the, the concept was sexy to them. The concept was interesting, interesting to them. Um, but the reality of it didn't fit that generation really well. And so we actually saw lower startup rates coming out of college for the millennials than we saw with Generation X, which was a complete mind blow to, to all of us. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. I think some of it is, is cultural. I don't think that students really understood what it was to be an entrepreneur. I think they thought it was, you know, it was easy and kind of cool and independent. I don't have to work for anybody. And, and as you know, the reality of being an entrepreneur is it's, it's, it's hard. Mm. It's tough. And, and I, I think many of them were prepared for that. I think many of them didn't understand failure, uh, because they had been protected from failure. And so, um, when they started to recognize that this came with risk and failure was one of those risks that it, you know, they ran away in large numbers from pursuing it. And, and I think the other thing is, is a student debt loan. That's uh, a practical reason. I, you know, um, they're coming out of, out of college with what's the equivalent of a small mortgage in terms of debt. And, and it makes it difficult to be an entrepreneur. So, you know, we saw this big surge and then, it didn't materialize. What we're seeing with the generation now is, is, um, probably a steady level of interest, at least as much as we had before. And, and I'm starting to sense that this generation, uh, Gen Z, for lack of a better name, um, seems to be a little more pragmatic about it, still facing some of the same challenges the previous generation did, but, but we're seeing them a little bit more pragmatic about it. And, 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 this fall in particular, we've seen a huge spike in interest across the country in entrepreneurship. I think the pandemic kind of put everybody kind of on pause last year. And while we, our enrollments were good at, at our school, um, many of the students were kind of hedging their bet. They weren't sure what they were going to do. Now we've seen a huge number of students coming in this fall saying they want to be entrepreneurship majors. So um, it's, it's a healthy field. It's a robust field. Um, it's an evolving field. We're still trying to figure out exactly what it means to teach entrepreneurship. You know, we've been doing it for a few decades, but, um, uh, like any knowledge base, it takes a while to kind of learn what we need to do and how we need to teach it. Yeah. You, you anticipated my next question, which is, you know, in, in a, dare I ask you <laughs> who've really been a pioneer in this, you know, can entrepreneurship really be taught? Uh, maybe the, 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 the way to ask the question is, you know, what have you learned about what can be taught over the years and, and what can you only learn by getting your knees, uh, skinned out, out there in, in the, in the entrepreneurship world? Yeah. And it's a fair question. And, and, and I, I think, I think what I have learned over the, over the years is, um, that we made a, a big mistake, uh, as, as a collective group of, of educators 20 years ago, and we viewed our job as, as, as almost evangelical mm. that we were trying to convert people and get them to understand there's another path in life. And, and I see this internationally. I do a lot of work with international education stuff. And, and I see in cultures like in, in, in much of Western Europe where much of entrepreneurship education is still trying to convince them that they can be entrepreneurs. And, and I think that's a mistake. 
um, I, I think because there's so many complications to being an entrepreneur, um, you know, last thing in the world I want to do is, is, is push somebody into something that ends up not being right for them. And, and so at least for me, my shift has, has, has changed from, I'm not trying to create entrepreneurs, but people who view this as a path they think they might want to pursue, um, I can, I can help them be much more successful. And there are, there are tools, there's knowledge, there's things we can do in, in tangible knowledge, but also, as you say, experientially. And that's really important in the way we teach is, we try to get them to skin their knees while they're in school and, and when it's kind of a safe environment of the playground, so to speak, before they go out in the rough and tumble world of, of the mean streets out there. And so, um, you know, we've learned what we can teach entrepreneurs to get them a much better chance of success. By and large, we stopped trying to convert people, uh, into this, like it's uh, kind of a, a, a cult kind of thing. Let's turn the question around. And, and, and maybe you can address what you've learned about students and the characteristics that uh, students have who ultimately are successful as entrepreneurs. Maybe you can address the question from that angle. Yeah, and I don't think this is just for students. I, I think this is, this is universal, but certainly the, the largest number of folks I've worked with are students and alums. Mm-hmm. But I, but I also work with a lot of entrepreneurs out in the community. And, and, and so what I'm saying is, is pretty, pretty universal. Um, I think that the most important characteristic, and I just had a conversation with somebody early this morning in, 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 a, in a phone call, I was doing some coaching with a young woman. And, and, and a lot of mentors who I know uh, will use this word. I think fundamentally the most important thing is coachability. Um, I, I think when I see someone who has it all figured out and my, they view my job is just to, to, to show them the technical things they need to put in place because they've already figured it all out and they've got this brilliant idea and get out of my way. Those people, I don't give a very good chance of success. Some do, uh, some get lucky, some do, but, but by and large, uh, those are people who I don't see long-term successes. The ones who are successes are ones who have enough humility, enough intellectual curiosity to allow them to kind of figure it out as it goes along. I'm sure I'm sure you guys have had that with your business. Sure. If you go back and think about what you thought it was going to look like when you started and what it looks like now, it, it's completely different. Uh, I started an educational content business with my uh, my family, uh, my, my wife, my son, and my daughter. Um, based off of my blogging work. I, I was an early blogger. I did some video work. And and one night over dinner, my, my kids who are in their 30s uh, said, why don't we try to monetize this? You know, you do all this work. And for me, it was sort of like this little inventor's shed in the backyard where I could tinker this stuff. And for me, it was technology. And, and I said, okay, let's let's play around with it. So we came up with sort of this business model we thought would work. And, and Almost everything about it was wrong. Um, and, and that was a little disconcerting to my kids. But I said, no, this is the process. You know, we, we start, we put, we put a stake in the ground. We think this is right. And then, and then the market teaches us. And if we're, if we're humble enough to listen to the market, if we're humble enough to admit we didn't have everything figured out, 
the market will generally lead us to where they need us to be if there is an opportunity there. And and we found there was, and it's it's been a fun journey to to go through with my kids. And 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 so I I look for that. I look for that coachability. I look for that humility. I look for um, uh, a, a real diligent work ethic. Um, it's hard work to be an entrepreneur and be successful. Um, I, I look for people who are persistent. Um, I think persistence is something we don't talk a lot about anymore, but boy, is that important as an entrepreneur because it does take some time. Um, so those are the traits I look for. And, 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 and what's interesting is those can manifest themselves in all kinds of personalities. There is not, there is not an entrepreneurial personality. Um, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat of an introvert and you know, I've had a lot of success as an entrepreneur. Um, some people think you got to be an extrovert to be an entrepreneur. I don't think that's true. Um, I, 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 I think personality really has very little to do with success, except in terms of character and, and things like work ethic. But in terms of the kind of person you are, it has very little to do with it. And, and there's also a, um, amount of, it, while while humility it that makes a lot of sense the ability to change when a change is called for you have to have enough confidence in yourself not to get devastated by that right yeah and, yeah oh yeah, yeah. I mean and, and uh, yes and, and and I don't by humility I don't mean they're a milk toast sure. or you know, I I think uh, you know I think that's a different dimension I I, I think you can be self confident that you can do something um but being successful takes a lot of practice takes a lot of experimentation a lot of work um you know we're taping this the day after uh phil nicholson won the pga at the age of almost 51 years old and and what he talked about as a reason he was successful was was hard work persistence uh you know learning and adapting his game to his new uh, and 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 doing things that that he never thought of trying before, and those are all the kinds of characteristics I'm talking about. Is he confident? Hell yes. Mm-hmm. And and yes, you need that. But there's to me, it's a different dimension than arrogance versus humility. Mm. Uh, confidence is a healthy thing. Uh, arrogance is a destructive thing. Folks, we're here chatting with Dr. Jeff Cornwall. And uh, Dr. Cornwall is the Jack C. Massey Chair and Professor of Entrepreneurship at Belmont University. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about opportunities that you see for entrepreneurship and how those have been affected by the pandemic and now whatever we're calling this post-pandemic period, new normal or whatever the new new term is, right? Yeah. it's a fascinating time for somebody like me because um, I'm seeing opportunity everywhere. Mm. Um, what creates opportunity is disruption and change. And, and my goodness, have we had a lot of disruption and change and, and, and that's leading to a lot of really interesting experimentation. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that, that people, people who observe entrepreneurship from the outside uh, it's all it's all failure or success, and they they don't understand that it takes 
hundreds and thousands of entrepreneurs tackling a disruption in the market to eventually kind of figure out what the next phase looks like. Uh, it's not this one pioneer who goes, I got this. You know, Steve Jobs and, 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 uh, and, and Wozniak, they weren't the only people trying to figure out these little machines. There were thousands of people doing experiments. And in fact, most people thought Apple was going to be one of the early failures because they had such a silly business model. They made these computers and were giving them away to the schools. It's kind of like, right, how do you make money doing that? And everybody was focused on companies like Wang and other companies that everybody assumed were going to be the winners. Well, the interesting thing about times like of disruption like this is you know, we don't know who the winners are until it's over. And, and it's often a surprise. And, and so um, right now for me, what's interesting is, is this is an unprecedented time of disruption. Uh, some of it, some of it um, is, is kind of forced and created and, and some of it is just happened, but uh, we've never seen this kind of disruption. And so, I'm seeing a lot of entrepreneurs go out and try to figure things out right now. It's a fun time. It's an exciting time. I think on the other side of this, however, is um, entrepreneurs are facing a difficult challenge in that one of the fundamental drivers of entrepreneurship is, is free market. And, and there's a lot of cultural questioning of of the ethics and, and, and even desirability of a, of a market-based economy. Um, and so um, to me, there's a lot of uncertainty for entrepreneurs in, in terms of, of that side of things. And, and so um, we'll have to see how those things play out. But this is like, this is a kid in a candy store time for most entrepreneurs just because there's so much going on. But I'm, I'm worried about our economic and cultural support for what they do. Um, and, and if that starts to, to wax and wane, you're going to see people get a little discouraged from that. Um, you know, one of the interesting things I used to do was uh, one of the trips I used to take with students once in a while that I loved to do was I'd take them over to Eastern Europe. And, and, and most of these were entrepreneurship students. And we would, we would travel to the different countries of Eastern Europe that had been under Soviet Union domination. And they were blown away by how different each country was in terms of, of what happened. You know, they, it, was, it was complete disruption, which created lots of opportunities for entrepreneurs. And you'd see countries like Poland where, where it was just flourishing. And then you'd see countries like uh, Hungary where it was, it was going nowhere. And, and, and it was fascinating to see and a lot of, a lot of what was making it either flourish or kind of just wither on the vine, uh, was, was this combination of, of, of economic policy and economic perspective and, and cultural perspective on, on all of this. Um, Poland was very supportive and, and celebrated entrepreneurs and small business owners and, 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 uh, got out of their way. And, and helped them and other, other cultures, other countries. Uh, there was a lot of, of, of residual Soviet kind of thinking in those countries and, and it didn't flourish. And, and so, um, it, it, to me, that's kind of a, of a nice, uh, a nice lesson to show that it, it, 
nothing's guaranteed. Just because there's disruption, there's opportunity, doesn't mean, okay, entrepreneurs are going to do great. We need help. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, need, we need a system that allows us to do what we're going to do. And, and the more we get in the way of that, as a culture, as, as, as uh, public policy, uh, the more that discourages people from being entrepreneurs. So I, I, my outlook is kind of mixed right now. If, if, if we can stay out of the way of these entrepreneurs and, and let them have that autonomy and freedom, I, I think we can enter an amazingly exciting time in the 2020s and 2030s. But nothing's guaranteed. Let's talk about maybe a, a little bit of geography. Now, Nashville's obviously been a hotbed for entrepreneurs. Yet, as we were talking before we came on the air, you know, geography for everyone has expanded um, uh, in terms of maybe the customers thereafter, how they do business, what have you. So, talk talk about you know the 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 Nashville scene for entrepreneurs that ecosystem and maybe how geography might change that in some way or, or the, yeah, the, the, that's, a, that's an interesting way to look at this. And I, and I think you're right. I think, you know, in, in years past, um, a lot of startups were very geographically de- de- dependent and, and tied. Um, yeah. I, I think what we've learned and, and we've talked about this some during the interview and some before we, we got in the air, um, how we do our work has changed. And so I, I think right now a lot of the draw of, of Nashville is, is not because necessarily we have this, this critical mass in a certain industry, like we saw in Silicon Valley. Um, what is was making Nashville kind of a hotbed is it's a great place to live, and it has a very positive pro-business, pro-entrepreneurship culture and, and, and environment. Um, there's a lot of support for entrepreneurs here. Uh, there's a, a big community of entrepreneurs who are very, very uh, supportive of one another and, and really do act like a community. You know, we call things communities sometimes that aren't, but it really is here. And so I think to me, that's, that's what makes this such a, a hotbed right now is, is more about, uh, about the attractiveness of this as a place to live and the attractiveness of this as a place, uh, in terms of uh, the ability to start a business. Is it a great market where there's such, there's so much here that, you know, you can come here and, 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 and survive on just this market? No more here than anywhere else. And, and, and I, to me, that actually makes it easier. For example, going back to Eastern Europe again, one of the things that would blow my students away is they're going, my God, these little tiny businesses, 80% of their market is outside of their country. And in the U.S., it's hard to get a lot of entrepreneurs to think outside of their neighborhood sometimes or, <laughs> or their community. And, and, and so to some degree, you know, I think out of necessity, places like Eastern Europe and I saw this a lot in South America were ahead out of necessity. They had to look to other markets because there wasn't enough there to make it work. And, and I think now ours is a little bit different. Now we just have, you know, we have a culture that's more accepting of that. We have technology that makes that so much easier, so much easier. I was, I was talking to a, 
uh, a woman who started a, a healthcare business and a, a, a provider business. And it was fascinating to me is, you know, I was a healthcare guy and, and, and I always think of physical location. I think of a building. I think of a clinic. And that's not how it's done anymore. And, and people don't want that. Telemedicine has gone through the roof because of COVID. And, and it ain't going away because people like it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I watch my, my daughter when kids get sick, how much she likes the fact that she can hop on Zoom with a nurse mm-hmm. and, and talk it through and, and not have to go into the clinic and see things. So I, I think that that has opened up so much for us. And, and, uh, uh, so I think it's, it's, it's going to actually allow Nashville to accelerate more than it might have before because people want to live here because it's a cool place to live. Now, we don't. I, pretty soon we're going to start talking like Austin, Texas, and say, you know, y'all come visit, but, you know, please don't move here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. we, we, we are getting some growing pains here, but uh, uh, so far we're, we're, we haven't reached that choke point that Austin seems to have reached in the last decade. So, uh, but it is a great environment. There's so much support here. It's just, it's incredible. If that's can- why I came here. That's one of the reasons I came here. I, you know, I was I was running one of the granddaddy entrepreneurship programs up in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and and I was intrigued by Nashville because I saw I saw an emerging entrepreneurial as we the buzzword today is ecosystem. It was happening even twenty years ago. It started to emerge here, mm. and, and it was fascinating. I thought, what a fun place to go build a program for universities. Is in that kind of a, a growing, burgeoning market, and 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 it's it's exceeded everything I ever imagined it might. Well, let's talk about that for just a second, because those ecosystems don't come together naturally in terms of how supportive they can be, yet they can't be forced either. <laughs> so, yeah. right. So how, how talk about, give your perspective on that. What's made the ecosystem in Nashville so successful and, and welcoming to entrepreneurship and, um, are, you know, what, what, what are the elements that, that have, uh, created that? Um, to, to me, you've already kind of answered your question. You used the word welcoming. Mm. And and uh, my wife and I have lived in lots of different places over the years, and we've always been amazed at how different the experience can be moving into different cities. Some cities are really easy to move into, very welcoming. Other cities, if you don't go back, you know, generations, you're you're never welcomed as part of the community. And and um, and Nashville is. Is such a welcoming town. Still is. That's still part of the culture, even though, even though most of the people who are going to be here aren't from here anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's remained as a part of the culture. And so I think, I think that has a huge impact. That that they want people to come here, and we want people to be successful, and we want to help them with that. And that's not true in every city. That's not true in every geographic area. So I think. The, the fundamental building block for that is that is that openness and and eagerness to have people come here and, and do things. Uh, I mean, I was I was my wife and I finally said, "Hey, thanks everybody for inviting us over um, when we first moved here." We still had to unpack 
you know, we haven't had time to unpack because we've been going to so many visit so many people. And and I had I had leaders in the community inviting me down to my to their office in the first two weeks I was in town. You know, what can I do to help? What can we do to make and it still goes on today. And I'm not going to call out certain cities, but there are certain cities where I've lived over the years where I was there for, for years and years and never never even got to the doorstep of some of those kind of people. Mm. So you mentioned leaders. That kind of brings uh, business leaders. That kind of brings corporations in. And I want to get to the whole issue of corporations becoming entrepreneurial. Uh there, there's a lot of talk about wanting to get more entrepreneurial and I guess creating entrepreneurial islands within the, the corporate, uh, 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 should we say desert or something? I don't know, if, I don't, but maybe that's overstating it. So, um, yeah, but, um, and I guess particularly when we're talking about today, talent acquisition seems to be such a big buzzword and problem for corporations. So how do you create those entrepreneurial islands, particularly when talent acquisition is such an issue? Yeah, but it goes way beyond talent acquisition. You know, that, that was kind of, I've been, I've been dabbling in this whole world of what we used to call entrepreneurship and what it was called corporate entrepreneurship and then organizational entrepreneurship going back into the eighties. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think I'm one of those entrepreneurs that that always has that sort of uh, almost unhealthy optimism that uh, we can we can fix things and change things if we if we try and 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 what I've learned over the years and I did I did a lot of research on this I did a lot of consulting in this area is it, it's you can acquire all the talent in the world but if if the environment in which those people operate is not conducive to them do, doing entrepreneurial kinds of things. They're going to be miserable. They're going to leave. And there's tons of data that shows that. And, and those, and, and the problem is it's, it, it, there's so many elements to it. It's the culture of the organization. It's the systems of the organization, the reward systems, the, the, the employment systems. It's all the things that we build to make a corporation efficient tend to be things that make it very difficult to be different and try different things. And that's what entrepreneurs are there to do. And so we've tried to do things like skunk works and things like that. And, 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 you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like my attempt at, at a vegetable garden every year. It, it starts out great. And, and, and I'm going, we're going to have all these wonderful vegetables. And for whatever reason, I don't have the, the, the best green thumb come about July or August. It just kind of withers on the vine. You know, I don't have that, that and, and you see the same thing happen with these entrepreneurs you know we i was i was i got sucked into a project about two years ago before the pandemic where we were going to go in and, and and kind of create this incubator system for corporations to bring people in get these new things going and then they can move them back into the organization and 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 you know i got into it a little bit and I went, this is the same problem we faced every time we you know, it's either going to need to spin out and never go back or it's going to go back and, and it's going to be crushed. Mm. And unfortunately, once, once a corporation loses that entrepreneurial nature to it, 
it's really hard to get it back. It, 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 and if you think about it, it makes sense because it's really hard to change culture. You know, think about, you know, we, we know that certain corporations have certain cultures and, and those things have been there forever and it's really hard to change it. And so, um, as, as lucrative as it was a few times in my life to be working with large corporations that wanted to learn what we did and, and help them, when it came down to, I said, okay, yes, but you have to change how you do everything. You know, they, they went, well, we can't do that. And it, okay, I know, you can't do that. There was a, a large privately owned bank system up in the upper Midwest that I, I did a big project with. And the, and the first year, uh, I was working with the, the, the executive leadership team that I was, my, the other part of my engagement was to train bankers to be entrepreneurial. So part of this is I went and, and I, I, they had this big convention of all the bank presidents. There's hundreds of them there. And I gave one of my, you know, rah-rah kind of entrepreneur uh, thinking kind of speeches. And, and they were all excited and it was great. And then, you know, then I went back and started working with the corporate folks. And they said, well, no, we can't change this. We can't change that. You know, no, we, we're going to want to sell this bank in a few years. We need these systems so they can roll into this big banking system. And, and so I, I stayed engaged with them. They had me come back to the convention the next year. I did another rah-rah kind of speech, and it was crickets. Oh, dear. You know, they're, they're, all those bankers are just glaring at me. And a couple of them who I got to know from the side said, yeah, thanks. You, know, you got us all stirred up. We tried a few of the things you told us to do. And we got, you know, some got fired and most of us got in trouble that, that did that. You know, the, the, the organization just wouldn't accept mm. what they were asking for. Because they don't know what they're asking for, I guess. Right. So, right. yeah. Right. So let, let's, let's talk about, uh, maybe have you look ahead. Um, I mean, what do you see for the future of higher ed education as it relates to entrepreneurship? What's that going to look like over the next 10 years, particularly yeah, post pandemic? Um, so, so, uh, sort of a, a caveat here, um, I'm a lousy predictor. Um, That's never uh, stopped anybody else, Doctor Cornwall. Nope. So, <laughs> so you might as well just forge ahead. That being said, I, I do see some trends, and one of the in, in, and so one of the interesting trends to me is is I think we're going to see a, a, a real potentially. I think we're going to see a real transition in, in higher education. I think we're starting to see this already. We're seeing tech companies no longer recruit colleges, a lot of them. Google, uh, um, uh, Intuit, some of these these large tech companies say, no, we're going to get these bright kids out of high school and and we'll, we'll have this academy, this boot camp, and, you know, we'll, we're going to train them because we can get them at a better price and we can get them looking like we wanted to look mm-hmm. quicker. And, and so that's been going on for several years. And there's, there's been talk uh, of all places in the accounting industry. There's been some talk, some rumblings in the, in the, in the large accounting firms that, you know, they get these, these kids who come out and, and they basically have a five-year higher education program uh, to get their CPA. And they have to do more hours than most colleges require. So a lot of them get a master's degree on top of the undergrad degree. And they said, you know, they spent the first year or two re-educating and, and training these folks. 
And, and so there has been some talk uh, of maybe, you know, maybe grabbing kids out of a, out of a two year community college or, or, or a vocational kind of school that focuses on just the mechanics. And then we're going to train them beyond that. And, and, and we're starting to see more and more discussions like that in certain professions. Some professions, it makes total sense to do them within a university. Teachers is a good play, is a, is a good example. Uh, I think med schools, I think it's it, it's too ingrained in that system to change that anytime soon. But others, I think we're going to see some decoupling from, from higher ed. Entrepreneurship might be one of those spaces. Um, I, I will tell you, I love teaching in the university. I love the environment. I love the whole, the whole notion of higher education. Uh, I'm so grateful I got to experience that, what kids did. Um, but as someone who teaches entrepreneurship, it's a really difficult place to teach entrepreneurship because it's so structured. I had these little 14-week lockstep kinds of things. And as you said, entrepreneurship is so much a process of getting out and skinning your knees and learning as you go. There's there's a disconnection there that makes it very difficult to kind of implement that stuff. And, and I'll have kids come in and, as 18-year-old freshmen with businesses that have a dozen employees. And then I'll have people who don't get, you know, the, the, the basically the nerve to even consider starting a business until 10 years after they graduate. Mm. And so somehow I have to, I have to address all those people at so many different places in the same classes with the same curriculum, with the same structure. And that just, it, it doesn't work um, uh, as, as well as I think something else might work. Now, does that mean they shouldn't go into higher ed? No. I, I think there's enough benefit in going to higher ed. But I think, I think, I think we're going to start to see entrepreneurship um, uh, kind of peel off to some degree and, and do some things that are different uh, outside of that structure. We're starting to see it already uh, in, in little small bits, but I think we might see some some uh, entrepreneurship academies pop up that that are two year intensive and take people where they are. So basically, think about an accelerator program slowed down. Mm. One of the problems of accelerator programs is they're too short and too fast. And and they're set up for investors. They're not set up for entrepreneurs. It's a funnel for investors. And, and it's sort of like, you know, some of these insurance companies that hire a hundred kids out of college with the expectation that one or two are going to survive and make it. That's what an accelerator program is. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it's to the advantage of the investors. Mm-hmm. So, so what I'm seeing some folks start to think about is flipping that and make, making that more to the benefit of the entrepreneur, which means we're going to slow it down and, and we're going to have just-in-time learning and we're going to walk people through that journey and, and help them as they skin their knees without being encumbered that you've got to take this course this semester and this course this semester. It may make sense for you to learn that material later mm-hmm. and let's focus on this right now. So I, I see some potential decoupling there. Um, I don't think it's going to be universal. I don't think it's going to be. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a complete separation. Uh, but I do see higher education becoming uh, less homogeneous and much more what we used to talk about—the long tail, where there's lots of different variations on, on things in, in different ways. You know, we talk about the long tail of music uh, in national the music industry. Sure, you know, there's, there's not the, the 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 mainstream music is not what it used to be. A lot of the a lot of the money can be made in, in those niche little places along that musical continuum. 
And I think we're going to see that in education. Uh, I think we're going to see a decoupling uh, from the traditional structure. And we're going to see some really interesting innovations happen. Interesting future for sure. Let, let's uh, let's talk about what what's ahead for you. I mean, what 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 you're up to. I mean, you've got your own uh, uh, business entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mind, and right. uh, uh, you're 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 still teaching, mentoring. Talk about what's ahead for Dr. Jeff Cornwall. Um, so I, I'm it's 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 an interesting point in life for me. Because uh, I never knew if I'd be like my dad. My dad worked until he died. He's mm-hmm. eighty nine, and 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 he just absolutely wouldn't even consider retirement. Thought that was a you know the dumbest thing somebody could ever do. Uh, I, I always kind of thought I'd be like him because I'm a lot like him in a lot of ways. But what's interesting is I, I really am ready to retire, um, and I think what what makes uh, what makes a difference between the way he was and the way I am is, first of all, I, there's I, I, there's a lot more to my life than what I do for a living, and and for him that wasn't true. Uh, it wasn't true for me in my 30s and 40s. In my 30s and 40s, I was defined by what I did, and and after our exit of our healthcare business, uh, I had a pretty significant health event, and it was stress induced. Mm. And, and to the point where, to the point where, um, if I had if I had made a change in, in, in my path, I, I'm sure I wouldn't be sitting there talking to you today. Mm. Um, and and I learned about myself that um, if I wanted to have a happy long life, I needed to be more than just an entrepreneur. And so I've spent the last couple decades really working on that part of me and, and the further I've gone on that journey the more I've, I've, I've delved into other interests and one of the things the more I've kind of gotten to the point in life now where, you know I, I really want to have more time for some of that and and so I'm ready do I think everybody should do that no uh, you know I, I not in the least but for me it's it's a logical next step I'm ready and, and, and I've, I've got some friends who are about my age who are entrepreneurs and they're kind of doing it too. They're retiring. They're going, you know what? It's time. Mm. It's time to hand it over to the next generation of the family. It's time to sell this business. And then I have others who, who will never retire. So I think it's an individual thing. But for me, I'm ready. I'm, I've got a lot of interest. I got There's a lot of things I want to do. There's a lot of things I don't have time to do. And, and um, I, I, think, I think for those of us who, who decide that Retirement is is a is a part going to be part of our plan. We know it when it happens, and it it, it, it hit me about a year ago. Mm. Um, I didn't think I was going to retire, and all of a sudden it was kind of like, yeah, you know what? I think I think it's time. So I'm going to retire. Uh, retirement, it, you know, it it, it it used to be you go to the lazy boy, you're dead in two years, and uh, that ain't going to be my retirement. I'm, I've got lots of interests. I've got this little business I'm doing with my kids. It'll never be full time. It's a side gig. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's something to do, and, and we have fun doing it. Um, I have lots of hobbies. Uh, I have lots of entrepreneurs who I, I, I love to help, and would like to have more time and flexibility to help them. And and so I'll, I'll continue mentoring. I'm going to continue coaching, uh, uh, and 
and also not work. You know, be, being being active and, and, and contributing uh, outside the, the constraints of a job, uh, even if you're an entrepreneur, it's a job. Uh, I'm ready for that that kind of freedom right now. So uh, I'm I'm doing my practice retirement this summer. I'm taking four months, and I'm really intentionally uh, living the life that I plan to live post-retirement to see if I like it. Mm-hmm. And so far, I love it. And so far, it's kind of like, yeah, this is for me. Um, uh, so that that's my next stage. Uh, I'm, I'm ready. I, and, I, and I really mean that. Sincerely. I'm ready to kind of go away. It's sort of like, I, I'll never forget, uh, you know, some of, some of your listeners will remember Johnny Carson, who was uh, host of The Tonight Show for a yeah. long time. And, and when he was getting ready to retire, you know, they, they, they were asking, you know, what's next? What, you know, are you going to do new projects, new shows? He said, no. He said, I'm ready. He said, I want to, I want to play my drums. I want to, you know, I want to walk at the beach. I want to hang out. I want to, you know, be with my kids and my grandkids. And, and, and that's, that's what I'm ready for. And that's kind of where I am. You know, uh, this has been great. Uh, Dr. Cornwall, uh, the, the one disconcerting part of it is you made a reference to Wang Labs and Johnny Carson, and I knew both of them. So that, <laughs> that we, that dates both of us. So, uh, thank you for that. Uh, but, uh, no, this, seriously, this has been great and, uh, uh, been a great pleasure. And, uh, hopefully we can check in with you again, uh, sometime in the near future and catch up with what you're, uh, what you're working on. So, uh, I would love to do that. Yeah. Thank you for that. Now, in the meantime, though, for those that would like to be in touch in some way and uh, uh, maybe connect with you, tell them how they can do that. Uh, probably the, the best way is I, is I, I do have a blog site, um, and and it, I'm, I'm, I have spurts of lots of activity on that site, at, at, but there's a lot of material there, and that's kind of the best conduit. Uh, it's a simple one to remember. It's drjeffcornwell.com. Um, and that's usually the best way to kind of connect with me. And there's, there's ways you can interact with me through that. So drjeffcornwall.com. Awesome. Dr. Jeff Cornwall, uh, Jack, Ma- Jack Massey chair, professor of entrepreneurship at Belmont university. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you folks. Just a quick reminder that, uh, you can find the show, Nashville Business Radio on all the major podcast apps. Nashville Business Radio is the search term. Uh, a couple requests. If you would go find the show and subscribe, we would love that. If you would go subscribe and bold request, give us a five-star review. And I'm not asking for me. I'm not asking for Business Radio X. I'm asking for our guest, great business leaders and entrepreneurs that deserve to be found. And, and that's what we here, uh, exist to do is help them get found as we're the voice of business for, uh, just such folks. So if you could help us with that, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get in touch with me directly, you can email me jray at businessradiox.com. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. So, uh, um, uh, and, and also our show, uh, before I get away, our uh, show uh, archive, uh, you can find it at NashvilleBusinessRadioX.com, uh, archive of all our shows there as well.
So for my guest, Dr. Jeff Cornwall, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Nashville Business Radio.